as you are settling in there, take your Bibles and turn to the portion that's printed uh, or noted in the order of service, John chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We looked at verses 1 through 13 last week. Our guests, we're, we're so glad to have you this morning. We have some visiting, uh, I think, for the first time, and we certainly hope you will fill out the register that's there on the row where you're seated. Let us know who you are and how we might touch base and say hello with you this week. We're in a series in John in the morning. We, we started last week in the evening series, Hosea, and so we'd love to see you back again this evening as well to worship our great God throughout his day. Let's begin reading. John, again, the inerrant, infallible word of God. Last week we saw that Jesus, in his own time, in his own way, went up to Jerusalem. And now we know what the whole point of it was, or at least a major part of it was, and what he intended to do, what his purpose was here in the fullness of time in traveling to the feast. Verse 14, we read this, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them. I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, as we read just a few moments ago. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, 
when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering, muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Father, thank you for that truth. Thank you that we are not left orphans, but your Holy Spirit is with us and in us, and that he is even now guiding us and teaching us all the truth that we need for life and for faith. We ask you to hear our prayer now, and that we might not be like these people, seeking to kill the Lord, alienated from him, hostile to him, but that we might be like those few. Yet many of the people believed in him because we do. What more could you have done than you have done? We know that and believe that. Help our unbelief. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus teaches in the temple. This is in the middle of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, as we explained last week. We're going to come to the conclusion of it next week. We're going to consider those wonderful and very important verses 37 and following next week, if the Lord so wills. You know, I've often told people that you you simply cannot ignore the teaching of some of the great men of the church. You know, you hear people from time to time, well, I don't agree with so-and-so. I don't agree with so-and-so. We have this occasionally with very arrogant young men coming to our presbytery, and I always vote against them. Well, you know, so-and-so did this or that, or so-and-so taught this or that, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't read him. Do you understand... And I say this to them. Do you understand what this means? This means you're going to sit in a corner and read yourself. Because you're, you're not ever going to find a man who is infallible. I hear people particularly, you know, rail against our tradition. John Calvin, I don't read John Calvin. And I want to tell you, there is a reason why John Calvin's multi-volume set of commentaries has remained in print continually since he lived in the, in the 16th century. There's a reason why his commentaries are cited and quoted, even by people who don't agree with him, more often than any other historical figure in the history of the church. It's because he was a careful student of God's word. And so I tell students sometimes, even when you don't agree with certain men, particularly men who are careful students of God's word, you need to read them. 
Just because you don't agree with them on everything doesn't mean you shouldn't read them. After all, they're just mere men. You should expect them to be wrong sometimes. The only person that was never wrong in his teaching was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was not wrong because he couldn't be wrong. He was impeccable because he was God. You say, but he was man. Yes, but he was God. He was the God-man. And because he was God, he could not err. And as it comes to his teaching, we have to remind ourselves of that often. Here he is in the middle of this feast, assuming the role of a rabbi. That is, one of the, the, the teachers, the approved teachers of the people. Even though the people misunderstand him. One of the things that I'm going to point out to you, and it's important to keep in mind, even though the people misunderstand him, they can't ignore him. You know, back to human teachers. We can ignore them. There are some people easier to ignore than others, right? I mean, let's face it. I mean, if, 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 if you just say silly things over and over, or you, you're, you're pretty ignorable. Is ignorable a word? You may be ignored easily. And you should be ignored easily, probably. But our Lord Jesus Christ couldn't. The people had to deal with him here. There was no way around him. And so today, let's consider what he's saying and see if we can do a better job than these original hearers did, for the most part, in receiving him. And that, are, that depends, of course, on the Holy Spirit who teaches us, right? The Holy Spirit who's in us and working in us to, to teach us and to help us understand. The one who illumines our minds so that we can understand. Nothing dark about God's word. It doesn't need illumination. Our minds need illumination. Now, I make that point because I hear prayers like that sometimes. Lord, please illumine your word. God's word is, is not dark. It's not sinful. The reason we need illumination is because we're sinful. We're darkened by sin. God's word is perfect. I hope you know that and believe that. So let's pray for greater faith that we might understand what God's saying to us here in these few verses. And the first thing we want to see is this. Jesus assumes authority. And that comes in those first verses, 14 through 24, that first paragraph. And he assumes authority. And he tells us why he assumes authority. Because he has authority. He possesses authority. You know, sometimes people assume authority and they don't have authority. Jesus assumed authority because he possessed it. Let's look at that. He's gone up to the feast. And let's be reminded he went up to the feast not in accordance with his earthly half-brother's timed schedule. He told them, I'm not going with you. Your time is now. You go on. After they had gone, sometime later, we don't know how long he delayed, he went up. 
to Jerusalem for the feast. We saw that last week. But you know, this is, this is just like everything about our Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in Galatians that in the fullness of time he came. He didn't come. The Messiah had not come up until this time. Even though many people had prayed for him to come. And, and, and you know if you've read your Old Testaments much at all. You know that they needed him to come a whole lot sooner than he did. Just from a human perspective. But we're told that in the very perfect timing of God. The fullness of time he came. Everything Jesus does. And that's part of John's story here as he's, as he's not doing, remember, he's not doing a chronology here. He's not doing a little history of the life of Jesus like Matthew and Mark and Luke do. He's doing a theology of Jesus. And everything was the way he did it, he, he did it, Jesus that is, he did it at the very perfect time. So he told him, no, I'm not going right now. You go on. The time is opportune for you. You go on. You should be there. Be there on time. Don't be late. It's a good lesson for us too, by the way, for you late people. But Jesus is the Lord of time. He's the Lord of the feast. So he was going to go in his own time. And what does he do? Well, last week we saw that he, uh, he, for some time, and we don't know if this was for a day or for a few hours, he's just, he's privately there. Remember? We saw that last week. He didn't come publicly, he came privately. In other words, he was just kind of, kind of hanging out in the fringes. And he was listening. And the people, some of them were saying, oh, he is, you know, where is he? He is wonderful. We need him, man, like that. Others are saying, no, we don't. He's causing problems. He's causing division. And, of course, we know the Jews, and here, as we saw last week, the Jews represent the leadership. They're the ones who, back in chapter 5, verse 18, said, we're going to kill him. Now, weren't they hypocritical, as we read? And Jesus said, some of you want me dead and they said you must have a demon who wants to kill you well it's the very people who said that were the ones who'd already said let's kill him so he'd been listening and now we're told in verse 14 about the middle of the feast he went up into the temple And he began teaching. And the Jews, that is the leadership who wanted him dead, marvel saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Their first thought was, where did he go to school? He's not been to the rabbinical school. Did you teach him? No, I didn't teach him. Did you? Was he in your class? Was he in your Hebrew class? Was he in your Old Testament class? No, he's not been to school. 
And one of the bits of instruction that he offers the people is, is that, is that, hey, I, I am teaching, and no, I didn't go to your school. But he says, he says this in verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. That was a pointed jab right there. You get up and teach. Well, they sat down and teach, taught. Uh, you sit down and teach so that people pat you on the shoulder. And they, they, they speak to you out in the public place. I didn't come publicly, I came privately, and I'm assuming the role I was sent for, I am the teacher of Israel. That's what this is all about. This is what this is all saying. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. I'm teaching because I have the authority to teach. Because I come in the authority of my Father, the God of heaven. And then he takes them back. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And here's the hypocrisy coming out. And it even has seeped into the crowd. The crowd says, you must have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Now, the, cat, the, the crowd's distinct from the Jewish leadership. They don't know what the Jewish leadership's wanting to do. And so they think, what? Who, no, who wants to kill you? There's some people who don't like you. There's some people who think you're dividing us and you shouldn't do that. But kill you? No. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. And what's he referencing here? Well, he goes on to tell them he's referencing when he healed the man on the Sabbath. And they said, you're breaking the Sabbath. And so here he says, wait a minute, so it's, it's okay to circumcise a man in the flesh on the Sabbath. That's according to the law. But I can heal the whole man, not just a part of the man, on the Sabbath, and I'm breaking the law. You don't even know the law. You don't know the law, and furthermore, you're not keeping the law. Uh... This must have been a pretty tense little exchange here. This is not uh, a, a, a table talk discussion, a coffee moment out in a public setting. This is, there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable people, a lot of toes stepped on. There's even some noses getting twisted around in this one. And Jesus is the one stomping the toes and twisting the nose and yanking the ears. You don't, you don't even know what you believe. And here I am. I'm teaching you with all authority. And you are wrong about me. But notice something. You don't want to miss this. Uh, well, well, we'll get there in a moment. We'll notice that in a moment. So here he is. He's telling them that he's teaching. He has the right to teach. 
And by the way, uh, why does he have the right to teach? Well, I, I've, I read it, but I didn't say it. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. I'm speaking not on my own authority, but from God. But we also have something else to keep in mind here. And it goes all the way back. John is a book that's really important that you, you keep up with what's been said before. It's a theological treatise and theology builds logically. God is a God of reason. He's rational. He's a logical God. Back in John chapter 1 verse 18 we're told that he from he's from the bosom of the father from the from the he is the side of the father he's the right hand of the father chapter 2 Jesus said tear down this temple and on the third day I'll build it up again they didn't get it they thought he was referencing the physical temple, and he was and he wasn't. You say, what? Well, he wasn't because he was saying, you're going you're gonna to kill me, and on the third day I'm going to rise up. So he wasn't talking about the physical temple, the, the building out there, but he's talking about his own physical body. But then again, he was talking about the temple because he is the temple. He is where we come to God. No man comes to the Father but through me. And the Jews all knew they had to, if they were going to go to God, they had to go to where God was, and that was in the temple in Jerusalem. Now Jesus is going to get more explicit about this in chapter 14. John's going to get to us, get to it then when he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, that is, says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then John's going to tell us at the end of the book of Revelation that he's the temple. He's the temple that's in the garden, that's in that perfect cubed garden. And that's where we have to go. And that's where the tree of life is. And that's where we will live forever. With the temple, the tabernacle, Jesus Christ. By the way, he, he took the name tabernacle back in John chapter 1 also. All that is mixed up in what's going on here. I'm the authority. I'm the temple. I'm the giver. I'm the builder. I'm the, I'm the architect of the temple. I have the right to teach in the temple. And they are just baffled. And they're baffled because they still approach everything naturally instead of supernaturally. Second point. Jesus challenges opinions formed by the suppression of truth. 25 through 31. Some of the people of Jerusalem said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? See, some of the crowd did know what was going on. And yet, back before, they acted like they didn't know what was going on. This, this, is, a, this is not a bunch of people you want to trust that Jesus is dealing with. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. 
So see, they knew the Jewish leaders wanted him dead, and they just saw the Jewish leaders confront him. And they've been talking big, apparently, out around town. You know, when he comes back next time, we're going to get him. He, he's a dead man walking. And now he's in town, and they see him right there, and they could go get him, and they don't. And so the people are like, oh, I thought they, oh, man, they talk a good game, don't they? But when it comes right down to it, there he is, plain and simple, right there for them to get him, and they're not getting him. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Do, maybe they know something they're not admitting. Well, listen, folks. I want to submit to you that they did know he was the Messiah. That it was impossible not to know that he was the Messiah. And that this is the, this is the suppression of truth as it's, at its greatest exhibition on the face of the earth. Paul said that, that we suppress the truth about God. That's our great sin, is that we suppress the truth. And because we suppress the truth, we become enemies of God and hostile to God. And so they're suppressing the truth. They know he's the Messiah. The things he's doing, hey, look, the people that believed, yet many of the people believed in him. And, and what did they say? You can't even imagine a Messiah coming who can do more than he's doing and say better things than he's saying. Come on, tell me how a Messiah could come and do more than he's done. No, I believe he's the Messiah. See, that's who the yet some believed were. But the Jews, they knew it too, but they were suppressing it. And because they were suppressing the truth, they began to hate him more even to being an enemy of God and wanting to kill him. Do you want to know why some of your friends hate God? It's not because they don't know that there is a God. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they don't know that there's a God who made all things. It means they're suppressing that truth and it's eating them up inside. Romans chapter 2 says that the law of God's written on every man's heart. It's, a, it's, it's for some men... Confirming them, and for others, it's offending them. And that's what's going on here. The Jewish leaders are suppressing the truth, and so their hatred for Jesus is coming out. But the positive thing, as I said, is some of them believed. We still suppress the truth. What are they suppressing here? Well, they bring it up. Some of the people said, is this not the one they're seeking to kill? Uh, can it be they know he's the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. They're talking about physically. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus said, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. See, even Jesus says, you know who I am. Does Jesus know everything? Yes. Just say yes. Nod your heads. Yes. So when he says, you know where I came from, he's not talking about 
Nazareth or Bethlehem. Because he goes on to tell them more than that. He says, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So now they're trying to arrest him, but they can't. Because it wasn't his time. We still, this day, we still suppress the truth. As I said earlier, that's the great sin. They had mistaken him. They go on in this passage. it's, It's just amazing, isn't it? And yet we have people living all around us like this, don't we? They've so suppressed the truth. They've so denied that they don't see the Messiah. They don't know the Messiah. They don't believe the Messiah. Here's the thing, though. We have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful that we don't let our opinions, our prejudices take the place of the infallible teaching of Christ Jesus in his word. And it's so easy to do. Well, I like to believe that fill in the blank. Well, in my opinion, fill in the blank. Instead of God has said. I have had people say, sitting across the table, and I've said, well, they've asked me a question. I'll say, well, right here, and I open up the Bible. And I've had people look at me and say, no, but I want to know what you believe. I'll frankly tell you, I feel kind of bad at that point. They don't really believe I believe what I say I believe. But I'll tell you, I do. I may not always look like it and act like it, but I do. The best answer you can give anyone is what God says. In fact, that's the only answer we should give is what God says. Otherwise, our opinions can become the suppressing of truth and can lead us to look like these Pharisees of this time. Last point. Jesus calls attention to his divinity, but it's beyond the natural mind to comprehend. Verses 32 through 36. Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little little longer than I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. In other words, Jesus saying, hey, you're not going to take me. I'm not going to go with you. I'll, I'll go in my own time, my own way, just like I came up to this temple. In my own time, in my own way. 
and you're not going to be able to find me because you don't know who I am and where I'm going. And they said, where does this man intend to go? He's already told him, I came from the father, I'm going back to the father. And now he says, I'm going someplace you can't go. That was an indictment. Their faith was a, was a false faith. They weren't going to heaven when they died, just to put it in common Christian ease. You're not going to heaven. You don't know me. I'm going and you can't come. And they said, where is he going? And then here's where the naturalism kicks in. And we, we all struggle with this, don't we? They said, so is he going into the dispersia? That is where the Jews are living out yonder, away from, from, from this region? Or is he going over to the, great, to the Gentiles? Maybe, maybe he's tired of us. He's going to go rattle the cages of the Gentiles a while. What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? And that's where John leaves us here. Now he's going to turn the corner on the last day of the feast, but that's a different day. That's where John leaves us right here on this occasion, with these questions just hanging out there. And it's because they're not thinking supernaturally they're thinking naturally they're thinking about well he must have come down from and by the way everybody it's good to know the geography sometimes have you ever wondered why you read in the bible they went up to jerusalem because everywhere from that region you had to go up to go to jerusalem so when Jesus kept telling them, I came down from him who sent me. He had to be talking about something other than Jerusalem. And they certainly wouldn't have understood by I came down from him who sent me to be Joseph, his earthly father, because that was down, not up. You, you, you following this? I mean, there's so much going on here. Jesus is just, just baffling the natural mind. And that's the reason back in chapter 6, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life in you. And you all know what that means. It doesn't mean physically to eat and drink. It means if you don't believe everything about me and everything about what I'm doing, you have no life. In other words, if you don't take me for who I am and what I've done and what I'm going to do, there's no hope for you. And that's why this saga continues is because they didn't. That's a sad place to be. So the question is, and we all tend to think naturalistically instead of supernaturalistically, right? We, we need to confess that. We do. We get ourselves into a little bind, and the first thing we do is which medicine to take if it's an illness instead of praying. That's thinking natural, and now it's okay to take medicine, okay? It's okay to take medicine, it's good to take medicine, but the first thing we ought to do as Christians is pray. 
we get ourselves in a jam with a, a job, first thing we do is start looking for our contact list instead of pray. Because we think naturalistically instead of supernaturalistically. But, but worse than all of that is what's going on right here. Because they thought naturalistically instead of supernaturalistically, they missed Jesus. They missed Jesus. So the question is, have you missed Jesus? Well, I'm here on Sunday, aren't I? Yeah, but you can be here and miss Jesus. You can sing the psalms and hymns and miss Jesus. You can think wrongly about Jesus. You may even sit here on Sunday and be mad at Jesus. You may be watching online and be mad at God. Then you're no better than these Pharisees and Jews, and you have no more hope than these Pharisees and Jews because you're suppressing the truth. Jesus Christ came down from him who sent him to seek and to save sinners. I go back to what what these folks who did believe, yet many of the people believed. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? What more could Christ do? That's what they're saying. And the answer to it, nothing. This is the Messiah. Why would you want more? Who else would you want? Like Peter, we should say, Lord, to whom else could we go? You have the words of life. Let's pray. You do have the words of life, Lord, and we thank you. We're glad. Help us to rest in Christ. Help us not to suppress the truth. Help us not to live naturalistically, but help us to rest in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.